0: Uh, Have you ever thought about these things? What does God want me to do with my life? Or do I have a purpose and a calling? Is vocation more than just a job? Questions like these have plagued Christians in every era and at every age, whether you're 18 or 80. And unfortunately, most Christians really see a huge difference in the work that a lot of times they do on one hand, and the work that their pastor does and the value that it actually has for God here. If you go to work into business or become an engineer or a pilot or a teacher, are you relegating yourself to be a second-class citizen of some sort? And unfortunately, a lot of people embrace a worldview that actually sees the world like that that there are kind of two compartments to life or two stratas of life. There's On the one hand, there's uh, what we sometimes call the sacred things, the things, you know, that God really cares about, which is prayer, Bible study, uh, evangelism, worship, and helping the poor. And then there is this other part of life that, where we spend most of our time we sometimes call the secular world. Uh, it's the place where we spend... Monday through Saturday, most of us, in, in the work that we actually do. And how does God value these things? Well, a lot of people feel that God only values these things uh, in the sacred part. And then we label these other things secular that He didn't, doesn't really care about, like business and finance and technology and law and politics. And those who divide the world like this forget that most of the people that we call Bible heroes in the Scriptures actually made their livings and spent their life doing the same kinds of work uh, that we tend to do. And so I've got some, uh, a little test here for you today. Let's see if you can recognize some of these folks that we would call include in this category of Bible hero. That, uh, and, and I'm going to talk to you not in terms of how they're usually talked about in church, but according to their vocational achievements here. All right, here's the first one. the family, ranching business, uh, his jealous brothers had him kidnapped and taken to a foreign country where he eventually rose to a top government position and saved the Near East from famine by savvy grain futures trading. Who was that? Joseph. Joseph. Excellent. Yo, you are so smart. All right, let's see if you get this one, though. In a day when women were considered baby factories, she executed several entrepreneur ventures in real estate textiles while maintaining excellent management of her family estate. Does anybody recognize that lady? Ah, the Proverbs 31 woman. Excellent. Very good. I hear that down there. Very good. Okay. What about this fellow? As a general contractor over a large government rehabilitation project, he successfully managed an international acquisitions challenge, dealt with an inadequate labor force and resisted profiteering, and under-the-table deals to bring the job in ahead of schedule. Very good, Nehemiah. Excellent. And what about this this lady? She ran an upscale international textile business and actually hosted and invited Paul to plant the first church in Europe in her at her estate. Lydia, Acts sixteen. Great. Now let's see if you recognize this one. He accepted God's call to business and became the father of the modern earth moving movement, built giant machines they kept uh, that helped win World War II and built the highway infrastructure of America. Oh, well, okay. He's not a Bible character, is he? Yeah, he's, you got this. He's the founder of our university, R.G. Letourneau. And, uh, you know, if he hadn't have uh, heard his call to business and understood that uh, he was called to business and could bring as much glory to God, moving dirt, as his sister could as a missionary in China, then we wouldn't be here today. When he committed his life to Christ, some of you know this story. He went to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, I know that a layman can't serve God as well as a missionary or a pastor, uh, but what does he want me to do? And his pastor said to him, after they prayed, all right, Mr. Letourneau, you don't understand here. Brother Letourneau, God needs businessmen as much as he needs pastors and missionaries. And so, what did he say to that? He said, All right, I'll be God's businessman. And so, for the next 50 years, that's exactly what he tried to do, um, and uh, to be God's businessman. So, this confusing notion that some people do what's really significant to God that they do sacred work for God while the rest of mankind has got to settle for second best is, is nothing new here. This idea that full-time church work uh, and are the people that have the calling from God and can do work that's really pleasing to Him was the accepted view 500 years ago when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door in Wittenberg. Ordinary work of a farmer or a weaver or a blacksmith or a milkmaid was actually a hindrance uh, to your relationship with God. This is how Martin Luther viewed reality when he abandoned uh, success as in legal studies to become a monk. For Martin Luther, this was no success to significance move. This was a life and death thing for him spiritually to avoid what he felt like was a sure road to hell. Nothing about uh, being an attorney, though as you'll see. If you, live, if you lived in his day, you would have likely thought the same way with most Christians that God might, might forgive sin, might forgive sin if you did a couple of things. Um, repent with deep sorrow, and secondly, to try your hardest to do your very best and to do better. But sincere Christians in Luther's day would ask the same question that we would today. It's the same question that I asked when I was trying to earn my way to God. And that is, how much is enough? What's good enough? And they had an answer for that. It was to become a monk. If you really wanted to make sure, oh yes, you could buy an indulgence, and that would help. But if you really wanted to ensure that you were going to get to go to heaven, then this was the way you actually did that. So, Luther became a monk, and becoming a monk actually gave him no sense of assurance. It did not quiet his conscience at all. Even though he out the monks, and even though he showed up every day with a long list of sins that he confessed to his confessor, it didn't help. He still knew that he was separated from God and wasn't good enough. And his breakthrough came while reading Paul's letters uh, and to, uh, to the churches that, uh, that were written there. And he developed a whole new concept of work as a result of what he discovered there. Rather than an angry God, Luther found this God who loves sinners, evil persons, fools, and weaklings, as he says. The God that he found in the Bible was eager to extend God's grace in Christ to those who stopped trying to pay off God and buy their own salvation. What we could never do, he discovered, Christ had done for us. And the Holy Spirit awakened him to the truth that we're justified, forgiven, declared righteous, not based on our trying harder, but by Christ's work that was done on the cross, that he was sufficient, full, and took care of that for us. It was Luther's discovery of grace, you see, that actually changed his view of work. And he developed this new concept of work and calling that went straight into the face of this idea that only certain kinds of work could be done with God for God's glory and receive God's blessing and uh, could, could really please, please God. You see, if you didn't have to be a super Christian as a monk, in order to buy your forgiveness. And the logical assumption was that sincere Christians could serve God fully in any kind of work except, as Luther says, the work of a usurer, prostitute, or the monk. He didn't think very highly of monks after he became a full follower of Christ. Luther found his support of this radical view of work in Paul's letter to the Christians at Colossae where Paul wrote, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Luther wondered, how in the world could you work at your labor with all your heart and at the same time be obedient to Jesus Christ who said, love the Lord God with all your heart? How could you make those go together unless, unless one's labor could be seen as the way we actually loved God and that he honored God. Luther's teaching, as Luther's teaching took hold and people began to see that they could follow Christ in any profession, the population in monasteries dropped from what was 10% of his fellow Germans when he began this. In the Protestant areas, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the monasteries emptied out at the rate of two-thirds of, uh, of their previous... Uh, previous uh, monks and nuns and priests that were there with them. And his you see, his teaching on the priesthood of all believers, that all of us had a direct relationship with God in the context of other believers, helped people see that they were called to their daily work just like a priest. And John Calvin, as we've already learned, who led the Uh, Reformation in Geneva, came to the same conclusion that all work is God's work. It's valuable. It possesses inherent dignity. And no matter how mundane or little esteemed it is, it's valuable to God. He wrote, we know that people were created for the express purpose of being employed in labor of various kinds, and that no sacrifice is more pleasing to God than when every person applies diligently to his or her own calling and endeavors to live in such a manner as to contribute to the general advantage. Amazing in this day. The centrality of the doctrine of justification actually does an incredible thing. It makes our work of absolutely no value as far as our standing before God is concerned. No value. It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ did. However, the Reformers, like Luther and Calvin, believe that God uses our ordinary work in incredible ways to carry His creation bounty to others, giving it inestimable value to the kingdom of God and His purposes here on earth. Listen to what Luther wrote. He said, He gives wool, that is, God gives wool, but not without labor If it's on the sheep, it makes no garment. And in his uh, commentary on Genesis, he wrote, God pours out his generosity. He hides himself in the ordinary social functions and stations of life. Even the most humble, God himself is milking the cow through the vocation, through the calling of the milk grade. Calvin agreed. He wrote, no task to be so sordid and base, provided you obey your calling in it, that it will not shine and be reckoned very precious in God's sight. Ladies and gentlemen, we are all called, uh, whatever work we might do or end up doing, to love our neighbor in the ordinary transactions of daily life and work. So what's your calling this morning? What is it? God calls you to himself by His Spirit and restored you through the blood of Jesus Christ, to be in direct relationship with Him, you're forgiven through Christ's merits and beloved in Him. You've been made part of His family, not because you're a good person, but because Christ was good enough for you and He died in your place. But He's also called you for something else as well. He called you to be involved with Him in His work, a blessing others as a teacher or an engineer or a pilot, or a mechanic, or an entrepreneur, or a physician. You've been called to be part of God's world. You have a purpose, and you've been uniquely gifted by God to do this work, and no one will ever exist that's just like you or have the opportunities you have to serve in God's kingdom, and to serve your fellow men. That's why he saved us and left us here on planet earth. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for all kinds of good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we come to Christ through faith, ladies and gentlemen, we never have to worry about being good enough again to earn our place in God's family and in His presence. Christ was more than good enough. And as Martin Luther told his congregation, when Satan comes to you, points out your sin, and says, you deserve death and hell. You tell Satan back, what of it? I know I deserve death and hell, but there is one who stands satisfaction for me, and that is Jesus Christ. Because of that, you and I are now free, not to earn our salvation, but free to bless the world. That God is at work in and through us in the ordinary words and interactions and actions and tasks that we have today, whether they're ordinary or extraordinary. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's get busy doing God's work. Thank you.